This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your host, Josh Taransky and Clint Clifton. Hey, welcome to the Church Planting Podcast. My name is Josh Taransky. Today, I'm not joined by Clint Clifton. Instead, I am going to introduce to you uh, a friend of mine named Joel Kurz. This was an interview that I did with him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Joel serves at the Garden Church in Baltimore City. And he's also, as I mentioned in this interview, he is my church planting coach. Um, In fact, I was scouting him out long before I came and planted in Baltimore City. He's been a great mentor and friend. Um, He's laid a good foundation in his own church, and he's contributed a lot to my church plant in Baltimore City. And so uh, this is a great conversation. We talk uh, about a range of things. Um, You're going to enjoy listening to his own story of planting the Garden Church. Uh, some of the things that are surprising is just his story about uh, his own marriage and um, uh, just the place where his wife was at spiritually as they went through the early days. That's a great story, really encouraging. Um, and then also uh, just his own journey of um, uh, ecclesiology. That's one of the passions that Pastor Joel has is is just really understanding uh, the church and how the relationships and the leadership of the church should function. And um, you'll find uh, across the internet different articles that Pastor Joel has written on this subject. So here we are. Let's uh, jump in to this interview with Pastor Joel Kurz of the Garden Church. No doubt some of you are not just church planters, but you're church planting leaders. You're people who are helping others get church started. Well, I want to tell you about a book written by a dynamic guy named Dino Sinesi. The book is called Sending Well, and it's a field guide to great church planter coaching. Now, you know, if you are leading church planters anywhere, you know that coaching is a critical part of what you do in church planting. Well, Sending Well is a field guide that will help you set up a coaching system that delivers great coaching to your church planters. And uh, so it's, it's sort of a back-end manual for you as a church planting leader to figure out how to do that. So whether you're working for a denomination or you're in a church planting network, or maybe you're just a church that desires to multiply, integrating good coaching practices will help sustain the churches that you plant connect them to one another and help make sure they're successful for the long run. So pick up the book, Sending Well. Anywhere books are sold, you can find it on Amazon or all over the place on the internet. The author's name is Dino Sinesi, and the book is Sending Well, a field guide to church planter coaching. All right, we're here with Joel Kurz, and he is the pastor of the Garden Church. My first introduction. So a couple things that people need to know is that Joel, you are my church planting coach. Oops, that was my phone, sorry. In order to be a, um, a church planter with the North American Mission Board, one of the requirements is that all the planters have a coach. And so we've been meeting monthly for... Quite a while. Yeah, for quite a while. And I sc- scoped out your church before I got here. Um, I remember it was one of the churches, you had good web presence... So in 2012, uh, 36 members come together, and you constitute the church. Yeah. 
So what was happening between 2008 and 2012? Well, we certainly looked like a church. We were serving. Um, I moved here in 2008 without a team with zero health. Uh, Myself, my wife, uh, a couple friends who moved away within the first year or two. And uh, so we really just started from scratch. Like I had a homeless guy sleeping on my couch and he became part of our core group. You know, that was kind of how we started. Uh, I wouldn't recommend planting a church the way we planted a church, by the way. And so uh, for a while, we just we really just couldn't get traction, to be honest. I mean, we, we had some fruit a little bit here and there. But we were attracting people that were very broken and uh, had a, a lot of growth to do. And we also would attract people that might be in a se- in a uh, Baltimore for a short season. Mm. And after a year, they're gone, you know. And a number of the people that we were bringing together were, um, were in retrospect, I don't even think that many of them were Christians. They mm. understood themselves to be Christians, but I think they just jumped on board with what we were doing because it was, uh, you know, it seemed like a good mission, something to be part of, but um, not a whole lot of spiritual life. So it just took a lot more time to really get a church together than I thought it would. Yeah. So for people who are not from Baltimore City, describe um, your ministry demographic. It's it's a strange demographic because we're not too far from a pretty nice sort of... Let me, let me rephrase that, actually, because I don't want to say my neighborhood's not nice. It's a strange demographic because we're not too far from a wealthy neighborhood, but our immediate neighborhood is... Uh, historically uh, been stricken with poverty and um, a lot of issues that are just associated with the inner city. Mm. So uh, that's that's our primary context right there. Um, yet, as probably a lot of inner city churches, we draw from uh, a couple other neighborhoods as well. The neighborhood that we are in is the neighborhood where a lot of the Baltimore uprising after Freddie Gray, uh, what many would refer to as the Baltimore riots, where that was kind of going on. And um, it's a neighborhood that was once a very strong um, middle class, middle to upper class African-American neighborhood, uh, especially prior to uh, desegregation. when uh, the communities were segregated, uh, Black Baltimore had a lot of businesses. They had their own hospitals um, and uh, their own schools, you know, and, and of course there was a lack of equality between Black and White Baltimore. We can just go through the city and look at the differences. Yeah. Um, however, uh, it was, though, during those years, very a very strong, tight-knit neighborhood. And uh, from what I understand, from what some of the older folks in the na- neighborhood tell me, is that after uh, desegregation, um, the a lot of the businesses couldn't keep up with the wealthier white businesses. They couldn't mm-hmm. compete. Uh, the neighborhood just slowly began to decline. And then you had the drug epidemic mm-hmm. that hit the hit the communities. And so it, over maybe a, I don't know, 40, 50 year period, there's just been this slow decline in the neighborhood. Mm. Um, so that's where we're at. Yeah. So let's go back to 2012. You hear you have this group that has assembled 
but you feel like in 2012 is when you became a church. So how did that happen? Well, uh, the first couple years, we had a uh, small group gathering um, that would ebb and flow with people, um, very transient. Um, around 2010, I went through some real difficult situa- uh, uh, personal situations. My uh, wife, she's been very public about her own story. She wanted to leave, and um, she was done. She, she told me one day she's out, and I thought she meant she was uh, wanting to quit uh, the church plant. What she meant was she wanted to quit marriage and everything. And so for a season there, I just kind of backed off. And I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to get out of the ministry. Um, and uh, for about six months, everything was just on hold. And I was pursuing my wife, trying to love her. During that time, she told me that she's not a Christian and uh, didn't think she's ever been a Christian. And so uh, just wholeheartedly was preaching the gospel to her and she did agree to marriage counseling um that didn't help at first but we we went and uh so i was during that season kind of working my way out of planting this church Mm. i had basically said it's just a failed endeavor and uh i had some uh mentors at the time tell me to uh just transition well to bring somebody else in to kind of keep some of the momentum that we did have going and maybe still have somebody else plant a church with with that so that's what i was in the process of doing and then around january of 2011 my wife uh and i we went out to a restaurant and she repented and uh confessed a number of of things and she in retrospect believes that she was actually converted that night Mm. Um, that just something changed in her. And, and that very night she said, uh, I think you should stay here. Like, I don't want to leave Baltimore. And so then, of course, my head's spinning. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Uh, do I stay? Do I leave? And I honestly, like, if I was my coach, like, if you went through the situation, I'd yeah. be like, bro, just get another job, you know, do something else. I just didn't know what to do, to be honest. Yeah. And I, so I just kind of kept moving forward. And my wife kept growing mm. spiritually. And uh, and that was really a turning point for us. Mm. Um, all that to say, I did stay uh, in the neighborhood. I did keep the little struggling group of band of people together. And um, by the following year, we had seen revival in our little group. Mm. We had seen growth. We had seen conversions. And I said, okay, I think I'm going to stick around and plant a church with this, you know. Well, and so we uh, put together a, uh, uh, adopted a church constitution, um, statement of faith, um, a membership covenant. We, we began membership, which I, the reason I say 2012 too is I feel like that, that it's this understanding with a number of Christians that we are a church together, this, right. this commitment to one another. And so in some ways, I see that moment of membership. I don't want to be legalistic here, but just for us, that was sort of this drawing the line in the sand Mm -hmm. and saying, we are a church. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. A couple weeks uh, ago, we had on the podcast, uh, Mark Daver, he was sharing his own story of uh, the first church that he planted. 
and um, Mark has had an influence on your life in a part of that process. Is that correct? Yeah, big time. So um, shortly after the whole debacle with trying to figure out what in the world I'm doing, one of the things I did at that time after my wife sort of had this turning point was uh, I, I began to meet with some guys at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. So my cousin began doing a, a, a internship at that church, and I didn't really know anything about them at all. And uh, I had met Mark Dever maybe once before that. I go down to Capitol Hill, and I'm like, this is just like an old traditional Baptist church, but they're killing it. Hmm. Like, what's going on here, you know? And so it was just intriguing for me, to be honest. Because I think I, before that, I was um, coming out of somewhat of a theological drift uh, that I had in my own life uh, that ended probably around the time of my wife's issues, you mm. know. And so I'm going through all of these, this existential crisis of like yeah. theology and just what is it with the church and just all of these questions and... So I met with one of the pastors there and just told him some of my story and basically said, I don't know what to do. And um, uh, his name is Brad Wheeler, and uh, he was very helpful, kind to meet with me. And uh, yeah, and, that, and that's also a turning point for us where we began to put down some, uh, um, some roots, uh, began to connect my theology my soteriology i should say with my ecclesiology and uh began to see how mm. ecclesiology actually matters yeah for the local church and that's something that you've actually written about too you've written some articles and you've shared that stuff with me about how fundamental your constitution and your bylaws are yeah. to a church plant it's yeah. just something are you passionate about that because of your own experience Probably. I would like to say I'm passionate because the Bible's passionate about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we also have our experiences. But you found it fruitful. I mean, you you, you, you saw, you know, you feel like it's the, what the Bible yeah, teaches, right. and then you saw, wow, it works. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's because early on, I it was so wide open. You know, when I first moved to the city, I was an idealist. Um, kind of backing up a little bit, I sort of had this theological drift prior to planting a church. And it was during, uh, you know, this post the rise of postmodernism and Christianity. And mm -hmm. so I just got caught up in that for a couple of years. Uh, Tim Keller, in some ways, helped me come out of that, not mm -hmm. personally, but just through listening to him and yeah. reading his books. And um, then I moved to Baltimore with this idealism of I want to just preach the gospel and we're going to change the neighborhood and change the city. And we're not, we're not even going to call ourselves a church. We're just going to be a community about Jesus and we're going to serve the community and, and we're not going to have membership and just, it was just very, very wide open, you know? And, um, what, what I realized over time was that I just wasn't clear in my explain my definitions with people as to what we were actually doing. You know, yeah. what is the church? Who, who is the church? What is the mission of the church? Is the mission of the church to change the neighborhood? So all of those kind of questions, I didn't really grapple with hmm. until I hit rock bottom in 2010. Hmm. And so then coming out of that, I feel like I'm more passionate for guys that remind me of myself in 2008, mm -hmm. who have a lot of energy, 
um, a lot of ideals, but are uh, not asking themselves some of these fundamental questions that need to be asked. Yeah. So you're eight years beyond 2012, right? Or eight, nine years. Something like that. Something like that. I'm not good at math. Yeah. So um, one of the things you you were saying before we started is just how normal ministry is and you've been really faithful to make it nine years um uh talk a little bit about that you know instead of being idealistic right you're plugging away yeah i say that because you know sometimes people will and you you probably get this too josh people will come in help us with something uh get excited about what we're doing and they'll say something like man you're really doing ministry you're, you're doing the real work here. I've heard that. Yeah. And I want to say, well, <laughs> <laughs> just hang out with me for a little bit longer yeah. and it's not, not all that sexy. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know what that is, but we, we've we elevated in our circles. Uh, now I can only speak of our own, you know, SBC, evangelical evangelicalism, maybe largely white Christianity mm. but we've sort of elevated this idea of like inner city ministry mm. and uh, we've made it uh, this this like really sexy sort of thing like that's the, that's the real work right there right? right and I think we're just setting ourselves up for failure if that's what we believe the yeah. reality is is ministry is ministry you know um, and and the day-to-day of my life is a grind and it's uh real life you know still got to raise my kids still got to figure out what we're gonna eat for dinner still got to do laundry you know yeah. there's nothing um romantic about it the and and i will say this the reality of inner city ministry is just hard work yeah it's just it's but it but there's no silver bullet you know it's the we use the same bible it's discipleship is, is I mean, you're, you're passing things on to other people. You're, you're teaching people that the truths of scripture, you're helping them, uh, overcome and, uh, their, their sin struggles. You're helping them understand the gospel and see Jesus just like you would anywhere. Yeah. You know, I think the difference though is the, uh, the severity of the problems that we face with some of the people the intensity of some of the problems that people have. Yeah. Um, tell, tell, tell us a story. What, what does that mean? What does that look like in your context? Um, it looks like a guy who has been uh, smoking weed since he was eight years old mm. because he's, he's also been selling weed since he was eight years old. His mother and father were locked up for murder when he was eight years old, uh, trauma that he's faced in his life because of abuse, uh, living with his aunt who, um, uh, didn't care for him in the same way that she cared for her own children. Um, becoming a serious drug dealer in his, uh, adolescence years to survive in and out of jail, um, issues with the police issues with authority, um, never really learned how to work a 40 hour week job. And, uh, and then he starts coming to church 
and we start having conversations mm. and he makes a profession of faith and he gets baptized. What does discipleship look like yeah. for him? Yeah. You know, well, it looks very, very normal. You know, it's, it's, it's teaching him the things of the Lord. Um, it's helping him understand the gospel and apply it to his life. But the severity of his issues yeah. are just. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it's a long road. It is. Yeah. And those, you know, some of that stuff is tied in. Um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about race. But some of that stuff's tied in with either poverty and some of it's tied in with just uh, racial injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. I'd love so so let's let's do this. Let me ask you um, just a little bit more about just the normalcy of ministry that we're talking about. Do you, you remember when did you come out of an urban context when you came here? No. Was this the first city like true city you ever lived in? Uh, depends on whether or not we call Akron a true city. <laughs> they, got, they got some, they got some urbanness, yeah. you know, yeah. a little bit. So, um, when you first come to Baltimore, or if you can imagine, like you know, those first days of driving around, I mean, it's 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 uh, intense. But now, it's your neighborhood, right? Right. Isn't that weird? It's normal. Is it? It's ordinary. So weird. Yeah. About how normal city yeah. life becomes. For, for my kids, they get freaked out when we drive outside of the city, <laughs> and they're and it's dark. There's no lights. Yeah, that freaks them out. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny how. Um, and then you know the other thing when you come into this this setting and 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 if God has called you into a context where you're dealing with such brokenness, and you're you're dealing with like generational brokenness where people are being saved. Or coming to even just coming to church out of a, a broken home, really bad, you know, authority figures, not enough like, you know, resources as they're growing up, poverty and everything that comes with that. Um, it is that's like has to be shocking to you. Did you have any preparation for that? No. No, I mean I I I. I read books i i thought a lot about the uh, uh issues of the oppressed um i think there's a there's certainly a reason as to why i moved where i moved you know yeah. at the time i had a heart for those things but as far as like um the uh life on life preparation i mean you know maybe that's why it took us four years to get get started mm. because i had a learning curve you know i came in and had to begin learning uh, a culture, uh, a people, um, the the depth and uh, the severity of, of, of issues that people have faced. Yeah, it takes so it takes it takes time. You realize well. I mean, you kind of get the lay of the land, like this guy you're you're talking about, and you realize this isn't going to be a six week discipleship program where we go through a workbook. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And the thing is, too, is is his story. And that's a it's a real story in our church. But his story parallels a lot of stories in yeah. our neighborhood. It's not that unique, right? You know. Um, and, and here's the other thing too that's that's tough uh, that I've learned over the years is that when you're reaching the community, and then you also get some folks who are, are coming to your church from 
more of a middle class background. Now you also have this class issue in your church where the middle class folks uh, have uh, a different, a little different worldview, a little different uh, understanding of what these, what what my brother's issue is. Um, maybe they lack patience mm. in some ways, you know. Um, so just as an example, uh, let's say that somebody f- who who comes from a very uh, abused, just traumatic background, and they're getting on social media and not handling mm-hmm. their current life issues well, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to have to also teach other people in your church, like, hey, you just got to chill. Like, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're processing out loud on Facebook. Yeah. It's not to condone it or justify it, but we've, we've got to just walk with people slowly because it's yeah. a long road. No, that's beautiful. That's a good word. What about um, being here in 2015 with the uprising mm-hmm. and um, Freddie Gray, uh, I would say Freddie, Freddie Gray was murdered you know, um, in the back of a truck or something happened by the time, you know, from him being arrested in the truck, he ends up with a severed spine, um, and the city erupts. What was that like? You're white, obviously. Um, this is a majority black city. Um, how did you minister to your church through that time? You know, that was a helpful time for me. I mean, that was part of my learning curve probably was uh, just growing in my own understanding during those years, uh, during that time. Um, We uh, have a lot of great guys, great men and women in our church who uh, have taught me a lot as a white man. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just thankful to be in the church that I'm in uh, going through that because I've got people to talk to and to listen uh, so during the uh, uprising, we were out there um, uh, during during the the riots, the looting. Uh, I remember walking around the corner and just seeing a car explode right in front of us and feeling the heat from that. And uh, you know, it was just a crazy, crazy experience uh, for all of us that were that were here during those days. Uh, yet what it did was it it, it helped me understand the pain of an oppressed community, you know, and uh, what it looks like when voices are not heard. Mm. Uh, This doesn't, you know, justify rioting or looting, Um, but it it does speak loudly, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think we need to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was an expression of pain. Yeah. And um, and that pain is hasn't just gone away just because people aren't out in the streets. So. Yeah. So during that time as a church, we we lamented together. Um, we uh, spent time with our community and five years later with the George Floyd stuff, really the same thing. You yeah. know, just just grieving together as a church. Uh, thankfully, our church displays a great bit of unity like mm-hmm. we don't I don't see a lot of bickering and and debating ideologies you know i feel like we're really rooted in the bible and a biblical worldview and that's so key during these times because there's polarization on on you know the far left and the far right yeah and uh, rhetoric that's used that's unhelpful Hmm. and um, i'm thankful that our church is is uh has a very strong biblical worldview 
uh, and at the same time is able to engage uh, in um, in a lot of these debates mm. in a way that is helpful yeah. for, for our friends and family. Amen. Um, you guys run a intern program, um, and so I want to give people the opportunity to connect with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what is the name of your... So you have your church, which is the garden, but then you also have another ministry. Right. So we have the garden church, and then out of the garden church, we have a ministry called One Hope. And the goal of One Hope ultimately is to plant or revitalize churches in poor communities in the city. And uh, so for that reason, we've, we've, we're starting from the ground. We've got jo- we do job training. We do uh, life skills work with people that are new believers. We have an internship program that's designed for people coming off the streets. Uh, we also have internships for people who are wanting to plant a church or to go into ministry. And uh, uh, so, so one hope is this uh, foundation, if you would, to get behind all of that kind of work that our church in and of itself could never support on its on its own. Um, we, uh, yeah, we would love to have uh, people come to this city, uh, think about planting a church or revitalizing a church mm-hmm. um, who are willing to be in it for the long haul who are willing to live uh, in a neighborhood that many people would find less than desirable, who are willing to make less money than they can make elsewhere, and, uh, and you know, commit themselves to, uh, to the work of ministry. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. That's what we need. Amen. That's what Baltimore needs. That's right. So, good. So um, how can people connect with you? What's the church website? TheGardenBaltimore.com. And onehope.gives. Cool. G I V E S. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. And you're on Facebook. Yes. And Twitter. Yes. The church is there too, or Instagram. I see stuff come through my feed. I, I know I follow you guys. So. Yep. 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 I good. Think One Hope and the church have social media. Cool. Well, we'll link it up in the show notes so people can check that That's out too. Up. It'll make it easy. Thanks, Joel. We appreciate it. It's good to be on your show. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's episode of the Church Planting Podcast is sponsored by New City Network, the church planting ministry of McLean Bible. A special thanks to today's guest, Josh Taransky, produced today's show. Nick Bashain was our editor. Thanks to Hudson Taransky, who provided administrative and web support for the program. And last but not least, thanks to you for listening all the way through to the very end of the Church Planting Podcast. If you'd like more information about our show, feel free to visit our website at www.churchplantingpodcast.org. There you can find all of our past episodes, as well as notes and links from today's show. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so be sure to check us out on the social. And tune in next week for another episode of the Church Planting Podcast.